So Paul is, is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, a church he knows well, a church he spent time in. He's been there at least two years in sort of Acts 19, 20 sort of territory. And, uh, and so he, he's, he's been there, but he's writing to them, not addressing a certain problem or a certain issue, but reminding the church of the good news that they have in Jesus Reminding them of, of who they are and what that means and how that's going to be evidence, what that's going to look like in day-to-day life. So that's, his, uh, that, that's what's happening. And we started a couple of weeks ago uh, looking at that first section in chapter 1, which, where Paul is, is praising God for all that he has uh, given us and all he's done for us. So we started with praise as we thought about the wonder of God's grace, the wonder of his grace, the, the, the magnificence of, of his forgiveness, that we're, we're completely forgiven, totally, totally uh, uh, saved by his grace. We thought about uh, our identity in him, that he's chosen us, that he's brought us into God's family, that we are loved and redeemed, that we're given hope. And that we're sealed with the, the, the Holy Spirit. That God himself comes to live within us. And the, and the phrase that, that he uses there, that we're marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What an amazing thought that, the, that God himself comes to live within us by his spirit. And that's a deposit Guaranteeing what's to come. If you've bought a house or any large purchase, you'll know that the deposit is a big, a big sum in itself. But there's a much bigger sum to come. There's a lot more to come if you pay your deposit. And, and if God has filled us with his Holy Spirit, that's just the deposit. There's so much more to come as, uh, as, as he fills us with himself. So we, we started with prayers. And then last week, we jumped a little bit ahead to chapter 2 in the first bit of chapter 2, those first 10 verses. And we saw Paul um, essentially preaching or teaching. He's explaining the good news to us. So we saw our problem. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in transgression. We have a, a big problem as sin is at work against us. That there's a there's a there's a sinful nature. There's a a, a a sinful world and an enemy opposing us. We have a big problem, but we have a bigger God. We saw God's work within us, as we saw God is big in love and mercy and grace and power and kindness. And we saw a big purpose, God's work in us and through us, that we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we've seen Paul uh, praising and we've seen him preaching. So it's essentially, it's a little bit like a worship service. Starting with praise, we go on to preach and between there's prayer. And so we're going to examine Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation where um, perhaps you've been in a prayer meeting and, uh, and you care about what we're praying about or what the topic is uh, and you do care but you can't quite find the words to say or you're not quite sure how to word the, the prayer 
and, and so you stay quiet. And then the inner dialogue starts and you think, well, you've been quiet for a long time now. You can't say anything now. You've been quiet for too long. And, and, and it's sort of like inside it's going off because you want to pray, but it's just hard to find the right words. How do we pray for the persecuted church? We care. We, we want to. But how do you find the right words? Or maybe a friend asks you to pray for, remember me in your prayers or pray for me. And you love your friend and you want and you, you do care deeply. But, but what words can you find to, to pray for them? Sometimes it's, it's not easy, is it, to, to find the right words? Maybe you think, I like the idea of coming on Sunday night as we pray and prayers together. But you think, well, but I, I don't like praying in public. I don't know what to say. There might be a time where we're in a big circle and everyone's looking at me. And, 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 and they're just the fear keeps us away. It's not like that at all, just as a side note. Um, we, we just sit in tables, we talk, we share. It's not, no one's, it's, it's very relaxed. Don't, don't let fear be a reason not to come. But sometimes it's hard to find the right words. So, so looking at what Paul prays for, maybe he'll help us. Uh, just simply find some words to pray when, we, when we're not sure what to pray. So let me, let's read the passage. Let me read it for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Right, let's, let's, let's see what we can do uh, with these verses. We're just going to break them down into two sections. So the good news is just two points uh, this morning. And, and, and the first one, we'll look at verses 15 to 17. And the summary is Paul prays, and I'm going to say we. Because God's word is alive and active. It's not just something for the Ephesians, it's for us. God, Paul prays that we would know God more. Paul prays that we would know God more. Let, let's see how he gets to that prayer. Verse 15. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Let, let's pause there. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Paul starts his prayer by looking out. He starts his prayer by, by looking out and, and, and it's what he, he sees, what he hears that, 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 that kind of prompts him to pray. And he's heard about the faith and love of the believers of the church in Ephesus. That's amazing, isn't it? 
He's heard of the faith and love of the church in Ephesus. Faith isn't just sort of agreeing with a certain set of beliefs. It's not just a mental note thinking, oh, yes, I think you're right, Jesus. I think it is good to, to love our enemies. But faith is, is something that's evidenced in our actions, in our decisions, in our attitudes, in our behaviours. It's very unlikely that Paul will hear of the faith of the church in Ephesus if it's a group of people who happen to believe something similar. There's groups of people all over the place who happen to believe something similar. What's distinctive here, what's, what's made a difference, is he's heard of their faith and that must have affected the way that they lived. It must have impacted how they operate. Faith that, that makes a, a, a difference. He's, he's heard of their faith. That's, uh, that's remarkable. And likewise, he's heard of their love. He's heard of their love for, for one another. Love must mean more than just having a nice warm feeling or a, a nice disposition towards somebody. There's, there's, there's lots of that. There's lots of that around. What, what's distinctive? How come Paul's heard of the love that this church has for each other? It must have made a difference in how they act. It must be lived out in what they do. It must be evidenced in, in much bigger ways than just a, a, a feeling or, 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 or a nice sentiment. Jesus said this. He said, My, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's not easy. It's an easy. It might be an easy thing to say. It's not an easy thing that we love one another, that we imitate Jesus in the way that we love one another. Jesus loved us by laying down his life for us. And the people he laid his life down for weren't easy people. When he starts to, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, he's going to be laying down his life for, for, for his disciples initially. His disciples are busy chopping off somebody's ear or running away or denying that they even knew him. Loving as Christ loved, this is not an, an easy or a simple thing. But Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. As you love one another. As you love one another. How, how can we love one another? How can we put our faith into action? It, it, are there opportunities that we have to, to love one another? To, to, to practically, to uh, on the ground, on a Tuesday afternoon... Is there a way that we can love one another? God will bring those opportunities along, uh, I'm sure. So Paul starts his prayer anyway by looking out. He is heard. He's aware of what's happened. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, Ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul starts his prayer with thankfulness. And, 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 and that is a, a lovely way to start our prayers. Uh, we, we can always pray, of course, 
We can always be talking to the Lord. That conversation always is ongoing. But but when we but when we stop to pray, it's good to be it's good to start with thankfulness. It's good to recognise what we can be thankful for. Now now let let's just be be really clear here and really uh, honest. Being thankful, it, it it isn't about pretending that everything is okay. It's not it's it's not fake and it's not false. It, it's it's not. It's not pretending everything's fine as we feel inside everything's unraveling at a great pace. It, it's not being thankful because that's the right thing to do. But, but being thankful is about, I think it's about pausing. I think it's about just stopping. Just, just, just stop for a minute. I, 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 we're, we're caught up in all that's happening. Just, just stop. And being thankful for what we genuinely can be grateful and thankful for. Maybe it's small things. Uh, that it's a dry day. We found a car parking spot. That Little things that, but that make a difference. Maybe it's about being thankful for what we have. Just reminding ourselves what we have. I'm thankful I've got eyes to see. I'm thankful for something that's going on. Maybe in, in, in the life of a loved one or, or or whatever it is. I've got food to eat. I've got a roof over my head. It, it, it's not about being fake or pretending everything's great, but it is about pausing. It, it sort of elevates God. Before we take all our troubles to him, which is a wonderful privilege we have and good to do, it also rec- means that we're recognizing that he's a provider, he's creator, he's, he, he's also given us lots. It's not not just a troubleshooter, as it were. We can remind ourselves of all we have in him, and we'll we'll come on to that in a moment too. Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what God desires. How can we, we begin our prayers with with thankfulness, authentically, authentically. Matthew Henry is a, was it was a well he's not <laughs> he's not alive now. Is it was a famous Bible scholar. If you are if you are searching Bible commentaries, which I know you do regularly, uh, then you'll often buy, um, Matthew Henry's uh, one will often come up one of the first searches, and uh, oh well on mine anyway. And uh, and he was uh, he was once attacked and robbed. And this is what he wrote in his journal uh, at the end of that day. Uh, he said, let me be thankful. First, I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, it wasn't much. And fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed, not I who did the robbing. It's not pretending that that isn't a horrific experience. It's it's not it's not making some light of it in any way. But 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 just pausing. It's just pausing and and, and, el- and lifting a God up, giving him his rightful place. Paul looks out, he gives thanks, and he goes on to pray. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. We'll just pause there. 
so that you might know him better. Let, let, let's just rec- remember who, who God is. God is limitless. He is unfathomable. It's not an easy word to say that. Practice that all week. <laughs> unfathomable. He, he, he's, he's, he's limitless. He's, he's so big. We looked a, a little bit last week about who he is. We, we read in the scriptures, he is love. His love is big. His mercy is big. His grace is big. His power is big. His kindness is big. What a difference it would make if we knew him more. Not knew about him. Not know more stuff about him, though that's good. But if we knew him more, what a difference that would make. What a difference it would make when we're fearful. What a difference it would make when we're joyful. What a difference it would make when we're scared or when we're apprehensive. What a difference it would make to know our creator more. What what a wonderful prayer. Just think of some of the the pictures that the Bible uses to help us understand God and our relationship to him. A a shepherd and his sheep. A shepherd loves to see his sheep grow and thrive and, 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 and multiply. A gardener in his garden, he, he loves to see the, the seeds grow and be fruitful and be beautiful. A, a, a parent with their children loves to see them get the most out of life, to, to reach their potential, to be, um, you know, to, to develop. A teacher who loves to see students grasp it, get it, learn it, apply it, understand it. Um, um, kind of lovers who want to know each other more intimately, who, who, who want to connect on ever deeper levels. These are the pictures the Bible uses to help us understand what God is like. This is his heart for us. Paul says, I want you to know him more. I want you to know him more. What a difference that would make in our lives. What a great prayer. If we're struggling sometimes to know what to pray and and. Maybe you don't, but I, I do sometimes, quite often. I pray that, 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 that when we pray for people, let's pray that they might know God more. Let's pray that they might know God more. Second little section, verses 18 to 23. Paul prays that we would know God more. And then secondly, Paul prays that we would know more of what we have in God. Pray that we would know more of what we have in him already. Let's uh, read verse, well, I'll start at 17 just to give us the flow. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And, and that's just what I want us to, to, to look at in this little sec, second section. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the power for us who believe. Paul prays that we would know more of what we have in him, in God, in Christ. And the first thing that he mentions is the hope to which he's called you. We might know more of this hope to which he's called you. Hope is, a, is an interesting word. 
uh, hoping, usually when we're hoping for something, what we're talking about is we're wishing for something to happen in the future. We, we wish, uh, we, there's a kind of uh, uncertainty to hope because we, we're kind of wishing for it. So we hope that the weather improves. Uh, and we might hope for a nice present for our birthday. I'm pretty confident that there's a number of people here this morning hoping that this is a short sermon. We hope, there's, but there's a bit of uncertainty with it. There was a bit of uncertainty with, with, with that sort of hope. The weather might improve, but it is England, and we are just short of the Lake District, and it is January. So it might improve. It might not. Uh, we might get a nice present for our birthday, and uh, we might get socks again. Socks is a nice present, though. That's, that's good. This sermon might be short. It's not, it's not shaping up well, is it? <laughs> Hope, the way we use it, is, is, a, is a, something for the future, a wish that may or may not happen. When the Bible uses the word hope, it is different. It's a confident expectation. It is a firm assurance it's, it's, it's really important that we get that distinction. When the Bible talks about hope, it's a, it's a confident expectation and a firm assurance. I, I know I've quoted Andy Thomas before, but he, he, he said this. He said, hope isn't like, fingers crossed, it's hope. It's sure, it's steadfast. It's, it's a, not an angry clenched fist, but like it's sure. And, and, and that's the hope that we're talking about. The prayer is that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, that, that in our inner man, that, that, that inwardly we might grasp this, we might get it, that we might see it, the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that, that, we've, that Paul's praised God for in the first bit and then explained further in chapter 2, that's why we've done it this way. That's the hope that he's, he's praying, that we might grasp it, that we might get it, that we're part of God's family that we've been redeemed, that we're forgiven, that there's no guilt, there's no shame because Jesus has taken it upon himself. He's paid the price for our sin once and for all and it's done, it's gone, it's finished. That's the hope. It's not hope, it's hope. It's a firm expectation. It's absolutely sure. We are forgiven. This is what Paul prays, that we're chosen that we've been given the Holy Spirit, God himself comes to live within us as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. This isn't it all. This is just a deposit. There's so much more to come. This is our hope. This is our hope that we're saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. We we haven't earned it. We've got it wrong. We've let people down. Others have let us down, but we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. That's so important in how we view ourselves, in how we view others, in how we view God. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you'll get it, you'll grasp it, you'll see it, you'll take hold of it. That you're saved by grace and you're given a purpose. Our hope is not, our hope is an ever-growing experience and appreciation of who God is. What he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. One more time. Our hope is an ever-growing experience 
and appreciation of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do in our lives. The hope to which he's called you. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Um, I've wrestled with this a little bit this week. Paul, what, what are you saying here? What, what do you want us to know? What do we need to grasp? What do the eyes of our heart need to, to see here? The riches of his glorious inheritance. So it's his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And remarkably, it would seem that we are his inheritance. The wonder of uh, our relationship with the Lord as we, as we belong to him, as we, as we walk with him, is expressed in different ways in, in the Bible. Uh, and that unity, that, that, that oneness is, 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 uh, is remarkable. So at times, we're, we're described as we are in Christ. And other times, it's described that Christ is in us. So which is true? Both. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. He, he, he comes to, to live within us and we live within him. There's this, this beautiful sort of, um, I think the early church fathers used to talk of a, almost like a dance, but like a, a unity, a, a symmetry, a, a togetherness, a oneness, a, a beauty. And it's the same with the image of inheritance. Uh, at times the Bible says we are, are adopted in God's family, so we become uh, sons and daughters of the living God. We're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And so we, um, we uh, inherit with him his kingdom. That's a truly remarkable thought. But also it would seem that, that we are his inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And it seems almost too remarkable to say, but, but Jesus died that he might in, inherit us, that we are his treasure, his, 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 his treasure. And, and, and the wonder of that is that, as Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened to see who you are, to see who, who, who you are. That we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And then, finally, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And Paul kind of describes that power in the rest of his prayer. That our eyes might see this incredible power that's at work in those who believe. When we think of power, we usually tend to think of of. Uh, if you have power, you have the ability to get what you want uh, from who you want. So powerful people typically have kind of get their own way, uh, either by money or by influence or, or, or however it is, by status role perhaps. They can take what they want, how they want, or can maneuver the situation in order to, to kind of get what they want. Power, we often think of as sort of getting what we want. But Paul's illustration of power here is different. Paul's picture of power is that of the Lord Jesus. And and Jesus, who knew who he was, he, his identity was, was so secure, he knew who he was. And that enabled him to, to actually live out his life in obedience. His power is displayed in weakness and lived out in obedience. As he lays down his life, for us. 
And God raises him from the dead, not just from the dead, but as we see, uh, he seats him at his right hand above all things. Above, above all. God's power is seen in, in life over death. As humanity, we've been very, we're very clever and we've solved a lot of problems and we've made a lot of problems and we've made a lot of advancements, but we've not been able to do much about death. And God's power is, is, is over, over death. And it's displayed in, in, uh, as lived out in Jesus in weakness and obedience. And so as we kind of get a sense of who we are, who we are in Christ, then we have the power to lay down our lives to serve and love one another. We have the power not to take what we want when we want it, but to lay down our lives and serve and love one another for God's glory. And he will raise us up in due time. Uh, as, I, as I can draw towards a close, and to tell you about a guy called William Randolph Hearst. And uh, he um, was an American chap. He was a newspaper publisher and he lived in California. And he collected valuable art from around the world and had a really impressive uh, selection and collection of art. And one day in, in his dealings with people, he heard of these particular pieces and he, and he said, I have to have them. I have to have them. And so he sent his, uh, his art dealer to Europe. They were, they were uh, perhaps in Europe with the mission to track these down and find them and buy them at any price. After a few months, his agent came back to the States empty-handed and met with William Randolph Hearst. And he says, I was able to, uh, to bring these uh, valuable pieces of art to you because it turns out they're in your own warehouse. After, after he'd been searching intently for months for treasure that he already had, he'd been searching intently for months for treasure he already had. Had he checked his inventory, he would have realized that he already owned it. And, and I think Paul's prayer here is, is a little bit on those lines. Sometimes we search and we search and we search, who am I? Uh, how do I get over this stuff? Uh, how do I find purpose for the future? And it's already in the warehouse. We search for treasure that we already have. I'm going to uh, ask the band if they'll come to this stage. And we're going to pray as we close. And, uh, and I'm going to pray this prayer for us. Um, so let's, uh, let's bow our heads. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers. We ask and we keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us 
who believe. Father, that's our prayer this morning. And Father, we want to pray that this week, every day for one another. That we might know you more and that we might know more of what we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.